Hi, and welcome to the Rooted in Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Rooted in Language. Our mission is to help all learners become the best readers and writers they can be, both typical learners and those who struggle. We bring you our best understanding of how to teach students grades K through 12 based on the science of reading. I am Rita Sabasco. In this episode, we're not talking about educating kids. Instead, today's topic is about raising kids and how our parenting views impact our families. To help me with this discussion, I invited my sister, Jody Weber. You may have heard our previous podcast with Jody from season two, episode six, when she explained instructional conversation. In that podcast, Jody and I discussed our family of origin and its influence on our conversational skills. Today, Jody and I are once again discussing family of origin and its influences. In this case, we address how the homes we were raised in may intentionally or unintentionally influence the homes we create for our children. In an effort to help you be intentional rather than unintentional in creating your own family culture, we suggest you use a method of specifically choosing what ideals you want to keep from the home you were raised in and what ideals you do not want to expose your children to. I call this podcast Family Culture, Choosing What to Keep and What to Toss Aside. We've broken our discussion into two parts. This recording is part one and includes what Jody and I each intentionally chose to keep from our original family and how we brought those ideals into our individual homes. Part two of this topic, which is presented in a separate podcast recording, is what Jody and I each intentionally choose to discard from our family, from our original family, including how we each made choices regarding how to discipline our kids. Since Jody happens to be an expert on behavior management, she has many insights to share. Hi, I'm Rita Sabasco with Rooted in Language, and today I am talking again with my sister, Jody Weber. Jody and I had a conversation probably in season one of our podcast, and um, we've gotten a lot of feedback that people enjoyed that conversation and they would like me to do another one. So Jody is here with me today. Hi, Jody. Hey, Rita. Good morning. Good morning. And thank you for inviting me back. It's so exciting to me, like ridiculously exciting to me <laughs> that anybody enjoyed our conversation <laughs> and that anyone would want us to do it again. So whoever you are, thank you. You've yes. made my day. What to keep and what to toss aside. We are going to talk about family culture, family heritage, and how we all make these decisions um, about what about the way we are raised or the what the dynamics that may still be going on in your original family, um, what we want to bring into our own families. And Jody and I both um, have grown children now. They are adults, functioning mm -hmm. adults. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and so uh, this is kind of a look back a little bit for us, but it's interesting for me as a grandmother to 
listen to my own children have those same conversations and also that there are things I did they are tossing aside. And and that's really interesting to me because I don't have any grandchildren yet. I have grand dogs. Um, <laughs> but even, even with that, there are things that I am learning. My son is the one who, who has dogs. There are things I'm learning from he and his wife about better ways to raise a dog and better ways to sort of navigate that space. And yet I'm still able to add a little bit of wisdom. So, you know, I think that's something to say up front is that it's very easy to say this was good, this was bad, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we can be hard on ourselves. What we did was wrong. What we did was right. Um, what our parents did, you know, what are their flaws? I mean, we're all flawed humans and we are always Mm -hmm. learning on the shoulders of those that went before. So um, this is not meant to be a trashing conversation. And I do want to apologize up front. We were raised in a generally happy family, not a Mm -hmm. perfect family, but a happy family. And that may or may not be your experience. And if it was, you may have a family where there really was not anything to keep. Um, uh, in which case it's always good to hear what other people experienced as you're creating a new culture for your mm-hmm. family. So, um, before we go into further- if I can just say, I love embedded in, uh, that statement, Rita, just the, the hopeful nature of it. Again, it doesn't matter what you've come from. And in fact, our own mother, Um, did not come from anything from which to build upon, but she paid very close attention to those around her. And uh, she would say, you know, if I saw people who had kind, successful children, I did whatever they did. And if their children were not kind and successful, I ignored them. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of in our mom fashion. But but we're all learning and growing. There's there's an opportunity for all of us to um, you know, be the the best parents we can be. So I I love you sort of opening that space, Rita. Right, right. Um, before we go any further, I (laughs) thought that maybe you could just remind people. Um, a little bit of who you are, where you are, what you do, etc. Yeah, nice. Um, I live in Athens, Georgia, and um, I, by training, um, have degrees in elementary education and also in special education, and that goes um, pre-K through 12th grade. I was a high school special ed teacher and an elementary school special ed teacher, and then also uh, an elementary school administrator, both an assistant principal and principal. And after 32 years in public education, um, I retired and had the opportunity to go to the University of Georgia to serve as faculty at Class A, which is the Center for Latino Achievement and Success in Education. And we do professional development for in-service teachers in a pedagogy called instructional conversation. So our um, goal is to help teachers gain the the skills and explore the space of, of 
opening, both problem solving and conversation for kids to really explore their thinking, share their thinking, build off each other's thinking um, through the, the process of creating what is called a joint productive activity. What we have found is what the research shows and teachers tell us over and over and over again, is that when kids can talk and share their thinking, their misconceptions, their understandings, that's where the most powerful learning occurs. Uh, that's meaningful here at Rooted in Language because um, we have been influenced by uh, the work of Class A and um, we have uh, had a prior podcast, as I mentioned, about instructional conversation. Um, we build from the oral language system to the literacy system, um, as is supported by the science of reading. And um, we, when we use terms like productive struggle versus destructive uh, struggle, or that we want kids to be engaged, make a product, when we talk about deep learning, these are all things that uh, have been influenced by Jody's work. Uh, and when we have crossed paths and, and talked about all these things. Uh, the other thing we used to talk shop about all the time was when we were both young mothers raising kids. Um, Jody, you have two kids. I, do. I have three. Her um, youngest and my oldest are only a few months apart in age. So we kind of spanned, I don't know, maybe like a 10-year a range, maybe in ages or nine-year range. So we were, you know, pretty much doing a lot of the same things at the same right. time. And uh, we both, you just mentioned, mom, both our parents are deceased now. And um, Jody gave you a little background on our mom. And um, I've talked about being uh, submersed in an Italian culture. So you want to tell them a little bit about dad? Yeah. So our father um, was... Um, out of nine, one of nine children born to Italian immigrants. Our grandfather immigrated from Southern Italy and our grandmother from Sicily. And um, so was raised in a, an Italian American home in an Italian American neighborhood. Um, and we, um, I, I would say for myself, I don't know about you, Rita, but I identified uh, first and foremost as Italian. It was the primary influence in terms of extended family culture. Yeah, yeah, because as I said, mom's family um, was not a um, one that was very involved in our lives um, on purpose. Mm -hmm. And uh, dad's family was very much involved. Our, mm -hmm. our cousins were our best friends. And mm -hmm. every Sunday there was a first Holy Communion party, <laughs> a confirmation party, or a baptism birthday party, party yeah. or a birthday party, yeah. or, yeah, so um, it, it was, it was a large, robust, loud family. Right, and, and, uh, but very working class, so birthday parties didn't mean there were a lot of presents, or even that the party revolved around you as the birthday kid. No, <laughs> I mean, other than at some point you got dragged up, you were allowed to come upstairs to right. have them sing happy birthday to you. Or um, come inside. Yeah, or come inside. And you may not even get the first piece of cake, by the way. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, you were just a kid. The adults came first. But um, yeah. 
But you know, like if I may interrupt there, a full, a full stop on that, right? Like right. that that's huge mm -hmm. that the kids are not, we're not first. Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, you sort of didn't anticipate you would be, no. didn't expect it. And then it, it was an interesting space, I think for both of us raising our children where we had these babies that we cherished and adored and right. how did we both lift them up in a way we wished we had been without overdoing it. Without overdoing it, right? So so it's funny uh, because one of the things I used to kind of tell myself is I really wanted to raise my kids so they wouldn't think they were the center of the universe. I didn't want to raise a bunch of narcissists. Well, we were just not only not the center of the universe. <laughs> no. <laughs> we were like a planet way out there, you know? Right, right. And, and you know, I remember dad... Um, being very concerned when when Joel was just a you know baby toddler and my praising and complimenting you know with good job Joel look what mm -hmm. you did whatever mm -hmm. and he's like why do you give so many compliments to him that's not good for him and I'm like why not and he said well because the world isn't going to do that you shouldn't be and I'm like well all the more reason I should be now you know to help fill that cup because yes the world is going to be shooting holes in it and um, but and, it's an interesting space I don't know that I was totally right it's just an interesting yes space. because we used to say if you wanted to hear what our dad thought of us you had to listen in when he was talking to someone else exactly and it's not that we exactly. never got a pat on the back it's just that a lot of things were expected mm -hmm. and so you were mostly meeting expectations and mm -hmm. Um, I mean, but, and yet somehow we did know we were their whole world. And I think that um, just to clarify, dad was born in 1924, served mm -hmm. in World War II, right. as Lived a young man, never got a high school degree, mm -hmm. um, and uh, was, I think only a couple of the nine kids got high school degrees. Mm -hmm. And uh, mom was born in 1928. She was mm -hmm. um, from a very... Uh, a, a, a abusive family there was alcoholism I mean she really uh had no safety in her own home mm -hmm. and um she really embraced this immigrant culture mm -hmm. and they both you know had nothing you know mm -hmm. and grew up mm -hmm. with nothing and we had a lot in their mm -hmm. eyes mm -hmm. and we grew up in Goodyear Heights which was just far enough up the hill from Goodyear Tire and Rubber in Akron Ohio that you usually couldn't smell the plant, right? <laughs> Maybe on a hazy day, you could. <laughs> you know, I'll never forget, Rita, when you wrote a poem one time and there was just a line that really jumped at me. And it was, uh, before I before I learned that I lived on the wrong side of the track, I knew I lived at the top of a hill. <laughs> and it's true. For, for East Akron, yeah. you know, Goodyear Heights was... Um, like uptown yeah <laughs> and then we discovered there was whole then west we discovered side. west Akron. yeah <laughs> and wait they have maids <laughs> they don't have to What's a country club, right <laughs> right so so yes so that is where we came from and so suddenly here we are we now live in a whole new era Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole feminist movement has taken place. You know, we grew up initially being taught that we should 
serve our brothers till thank God Jody started to put her foot down on that. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, she Jody is three years older than I am, but we were very close growing up. Very and cool. uh, still, uh, still are, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I only had a few adolescent rocky moments, but <laughs> pretty good overall. Um, and, you know, the world was different. They were, you know, everything's different and it's different again. You know, parenting advice was way different. Mom and dad were shaking their heads a lot of times. Mm -hmm. They didn't hesitate to give their opinion. Mm -hmm. We knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. And we um, may not have always wanted it, but we also weren't uh, in a big huff over it either because mm -hmm. compared to what they had, it was still easier, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I remember one one sort of profound moment of, of setting the boundaries where it was right after Joel was born and mom wanted me to bind his belly button. Oh, she goodness. wanted me to put a quarter on his belly button and bind it with gauze. And I was like, no, <laughs> you know, just, you think you're so smart. Every once in a while, you should just listen to a parent. <laughs> and, and at that point, the only source for parenting out there was Dr. Spock. Yeah. And I said, way, right? if Dr. Spock says I should bind the belly button, I'll do it. And we opened up the book and it said, do not bind <laughs> the belly button. And it was like, so there. But but there was, I mean, mom was right about an awful lot of things. And there were a lot of things that she would tell me I would push back on, but I heard it. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking about it. And I found myself utilizing it more often than not. Right, right. There is wisdom there. And I think that's the, the piece that we need to um, remember is, and that's why I, when I first heard the phrase, what to keep and what to toss aside, when you, mm -hmm. you know, this kind of reflective look at family <laughs> origin, I really liked it um, because, because there may be something to keep. I mean, um, uh you know, even mom, as difficult as her family was, she was close to her sister and mm -hmm. always prioritized this relationship with her sister. And while most of our sense of family came from our dad, we did see that mm -hmm. and we did know that mattered. And so she had kept something. So mm -hmm. I had posed this question to Jody of what to keep and what to toss aside. And so kind of as a prep for this is the only prep is what are your three things? What are mine? And they kind of line up pretty much into three good categories. So what were your three categories? So the first one I'll bring up is dinner. And again, just this, this Italian home food is food is the center, right? But with the food, um, it doesn't mean eating in front of a TV. Certainly in that day was not eating in front of a computer. Um, but but even raising my own children, um, and even though I don't think I was anywhere near as good of a cook as you are, food and the dinner table and the conversation that happened around the dinner table, the space at the dinner table, um, that was something that was strongly embedded in my memory and as an important part of what defined family. And so um, definitely knew I wanted to keep that and did. And, you know, um, it's interesting because uh, Rick and I met young. So he was, I was 17, he was 18. And he, so he's 18 years old coming to my family's house for dinner. 
And he had had this big family full of males, you know, um, and so that created a whole different kind of culture. And uh, he was like, you guys never get up from the table. Like, it's making me crazy. It's two hours. I'm to have dinner with your family. It's two hours of sitting at the table. We're done eating in, you know, 40 minutes or something. We certainly don't rush, but <laughs> and we definitely overate. But, <laughs> um, but it's like you never get up from the table. And, uh, you know, that was our life. I mean, yeah. everyone got a turn to talk right. about their day. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember mom leaving this space for you. Because mm -hmm. I was you young. Know, yeah. Like Rita, let's, let's let Rita talk. Be quiet. Let Rita talk. Mm -hmm. You know, just as the youngest of four, it, it would have been easy for your voice to not ever mm -hmm. be heard. But mom valued that each of us had a chance to speak at the table and, and she was ahead of her time in that she was uh and you know and it and it, even though we did feel the balance was a little heavier toward the males and females in our family still um it was not just the the boy they were not only two boys we have two brothers but they were the two oldest so it would have been mm -hmm. very easy for Jody and I to be relegated to um definite definitely second-class citizens and um and the ways we saw that happen we did fight back against but mm -hmm. um but still we had a turn to talk too and with my own kids I had to work really hard so I have two girls then a boy and everyone talks very fast in this family and mm -hmm. they're not super quiet in this family and I had to work really hard to make the girls stop talking so that Vinny could even get a turn. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and they didn't take that well. They felt mm -hmm. I was favoring him. You know, they couldn't mm -hmm. see the unbalance, of course. They mm -hmm. thought he's the same as us. If he wants to talk, just jump in. And and mm -hmm. and they kind of couldn't understand the age difference because they were too young to understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because it doesn't matter if they understood or not. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, that was really important for you to do that. It didn't matter if I understood you being given the space, you being given the space is is what was important. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think about, I, like, it's kind of like you take what are you keeping? You keep it, but then you make it your own too, right? It's not like this full replication of exactly what you had. It's more the concept is what you're hanging on to, and then you're adapting it um, for yourself. And I can recall when um, the kids got to be about middle school age, um, they were, first of all, having dinner together became more difficult because they were involved in club soccer and, and they just had a lot going on. We were running back and forth, you know, all the time. But when we were home together, we made sure there was a dinner table. But then there could be those quiet, sullen middle school kind of moments. And <laughs> we started um, playing games at the dinner table. We started playing poker. We started playing um you know, connect four, we started playing Pictionary, we started, and what I found is that allowed whatever the mood was to be put aside. And we had this joyful space again at the dinner table, and then they would stay and sit and talk. 
because now, you know, a different relationship had kind of opened. Um, now, that was not something we would have ever done in our home growing up. No, I don't think we played games as kids, but really, there were not many times our parents played games with us. Actually. Mm -mm. And if we were going to, it certainly would have been after dinner, not during dinner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it worked for our family. I, I'm not saying that I, you know, think everybody should do it, but for our family. Right. You found it a way. Made a difference. You found right. a way. Right. right. It right. does become more difficult once they are you know, in high school or involved in things that, I mean, the, the culture doesn't want us to have a family dinner. That's for darn sure. Right. right. And um, I can remember that we would wait. Uh, our brothers were both swimmers and um, they would not get home from practice till six or six 30, maybe even seven. And we would often wait dinner mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. until that time. And, um, and there were times I would have to rush dinner before somebody mm. went off to an event. Mm. Um, and certainly there were days you just couldn't manage it, but mm -hmm. um, having that as a priority, having a sense of that. And what we tried to do is if anybody was dating anyone, like mm -hmm. coming to dinner was one of the oh, great high priorities, right? Great point. If you were dating somebody seriously, they had to come to dinner. Yeah. Like that, that was a requirement. And so if it wasn't somebody you felt comfortable bringing home to dinner, you probably were not going to keep dating them either. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's interesting, you know, to that point, I kept that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, when the, somebody's name was coming up consistently, I was like, I'd like, I'd like them to come to dinner. It didn't matter if I'd met them already or not. Um, something happens over the expanse of dinner um, that is different mm -hmm. than just popping in, picking up, leaving, mm -hmm. you know. And actually it was true of any good friend, like any yes. friend that oh, you're hearing about, whether dating or not, just a friend. Mm -hmm. um, dinner was a part of it. You had friends for dinner. And was yeah. that a hassle? Yeah, that was a yeah. hassle. It is a yeah. hassle to make dinner for a bunch of kids. And right. there are, now my kids did know that, just because they had a friend over didn't mean they didn't still have to go help clean up the kitchen. And so what they took pride in, weirdly, is that they wanted their friends to come and have the experience of helping prep the meals with us, mm -hmm. eating the meal with us, mm -hmm. and cleaning up together afterwards. They kind of saw that as this whole process that they ended up taking pride in, which was weird. Why did they take pride in it? Because they realized no one else was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, they realized this was unique. You know, I may have told you this before, but it really um, sort of profoundly hit me when one of our teachers in a neighboring county said, um, right, the first week of school, she had her students draw a picture of their family at dinner, which just that prompt alone is kind of interesting. It's interesting. But the number of kids who it was dad in the family room in front of the tv mom in the kitchen on her laptop and the kids in their own bedrooms gaming all while eating dinner mm -hmm. that was dinner time mm -hmm. so you think that's not and these are in very affluent homes mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so there's no sense of dinner there's no give and take of a conversation or a sharing of ideas 
or a challenging of ideas in a respectful manner. Like none of that is being practiced if everybody's in front of their devices. Right. And you know, I, I always am quoting Deborah Tannen's line that intimacy is in the details. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know more about your kids when you know the details of their day or their thoughts. So, you know, even when we homeschooled, I knew the details of their day because I was part of their day. Mm -hmm. Their father didn't have the details of their day, but nobody really had their thoughts on the day mm -hmm. until, um, until it got shared for me to sit back and hear how they saw their day mm -hmm. was really enlightening for me. And, and there was intimacy in that. Well, that will lead us, I think, nicely to the, the second thing was um, that we both agreed on was this priority of family. Yeah. Something we would keep. And uh, I'll, I'll let you expand on how that looked for your family. Um, you know, there was always um, this sense of, for, for me growing up, and it may have felt different for you, but for me growing up, I always felt um, this security that I came from something bigger than myself, right? I was, I was part of something um, important. And in fact, there was a bit of a mission um, for the way I viewed our family. You know, that our uh, grandparents came over um, as, you know, young teenagers to another country where they didn't speak the language, where they made their way, where they created this space as, um, as far as we know, law-abiding citizens, <laughs> <laughs> or as far as we're, we're sharing law-abiding <laughs> citizens. Um, and then our own father, um, who had a learning disability or a, a head injury, head injury sure. and resulted in school difficulties and dropped out of high school and you know over and over the one thing that no one can ever take away from you is your education you know and that was like this big Mantra. driving force mm -hmm. right for me to become an educator you know and in particular wanting to work you know in in special needs and just all, all of these kinds of things but but there was also for me um, a sense of fragility in that I also felt like I had to I had to be just so, just right. Like as a woman, there were these expectations of me that I was pushing up against. And I felt like I could push up against them, but only a certain amount. Mm -hmm. um, I never really felt fully safe that no matter what I did, what I said, where I went, whatever, that I would still be welcomed back home. So that is a space that I wanted to change for my own children mm -hmm. that I felt was really important that they get the message very clearly over and over again, you know, I love you no matter what. Like it doesn't matter who you are, where you go, what you become. 
I'm going to be proud of you for certain things and really concerned or unhappy for certain things, but, but I will always love you. I am always there for you. Um, and, and, you know, there were not times that that was put to the test, but times that I had that opportunity to um, state that clearly. And sometimes my kids would say things like, ah, mom, I know, whatever. And I'd be like, no, no, I didn't always know. I didn't always have full confidence in that. Mm -hmm. And I am here to tell you, you can have full confidence in that. And, and we always said, you know, we just want our kids happy and healthy. And it turns out we really just only want our kids happy and healthy. Yeah, right. That's true. That's mostly what we want when it comes down to it is mm -hmm. that, um, and for me, not happy, happy, like, um, you know, I, I don't know how to be unhappy. Right. That, that peace in themselves, joy. Yeah. Um, that even in the midst of uh, challenges, you know, I have a sense of, of, of who I am and that I can find um, uh, relationships and support and, and, and be, and find my way at peace, you know, um, and so not just that I got my way this time, you know, mm -hmm. not that kind of happy, right? It's right. We're talking about a, a deeper level of, mm -hmm. of contentment. And I guess where, what I see is it's interesting. Jody's experience and my experience are different in that way. Um, I was youngest, so she had to fight more of the, um, daughter battles. I kind of just gleaned the, uh, results of them um and um also unfortunately there was a little bit of like you're in and you're out going on in the family <laughs> um mm -hmm. with our parents and so um our mom in particular I think um tended to battle more with Jody and kind of accept me more easily so but the other thing is I had Jody doing that for me mm -hmm. so I guess that's that sense of family piece too is we had managed to um nurture each other and kind of raise each mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. and um our kids saw that they saw that my relationship with you was a priority mm -hmm. and that our relationship with each other's kids was a priority and that we wanted mm -hmm. our kids to know each other mm -hmm. um and and that wasn't true of every sibling in our family but we tried mm -hmm. to do that with the siblings that we felt closer to and those cousins consequently kind of had more experiences together. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was even true in our extended family. We didn't have intimate, uh, you know, spend the night experiences with every cousin we had. It was a few families yeah. that we felt a closer kinship to. Right. right. That's right. It was kind of like the sister-in-laws and the brothers that mom and dad connected with and they had children about our ages. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. there was this real natural, more intimate connection mm -hmm. with those cousins. Um, but but all with the cousins kind of came into that intimate circle in different ways at different. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. which. Yeah, it's not all like this one perfect fairy tale of no, no. stuff like yeah. you know there would there was that, that would have been there was, yeah yeah <laughs> wouldn't it? yeah yeah um it was more just like hey 
in the midst of this drama, you and I still care about each other and we're going to work this through. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my thing is I felt there was value. First of all, bouncing ideas, parenting ideas off of someone <clears throat> who, who came from where I came from, mm -hmm. you know, who was dealing with the, Hey, what are we keeping and tossing aside? You know, mm. and also that you are important enough to me that I want to hear about your kids and what's going on with them and how, you know, and let you know that I love them and, you know, all of that. So, so there yeah. was kind of this sense of family and I see my children now because my kids now each all have children. Um, they are already talking about, won't it be great? I mean, they're kind of idolizing it, but because they're remembering all the good stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they're yeah. like, won't it be great? You know, we're going to have the cousins get together and they're going to, grow up and see each other and and you know they you can tell that that sense that knowing where you came from was helpful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, they, they and you know to to kind of swing back around to the love and I'm not saying that um you know I don't have women friends who I fully love and trust and and would value and do value um their opinion but you've always been first in the room for me with that. And I do, when you um, talk about like raising our kids, I can remember turning to you for help. Um, you know, Joel um, was not sick a lot, but he had allergies and we weren't sure about his speech development. I I don't know that I would have been not sure about his speech development, but you were, mm -hmm. and you helped me to know and understand it and to know and understand the importance of tubes. And it gave me the strength to kind of push back on the doctor, you know, with some knowledge and understanding because of you talking to me and, and opening that space. And then later with Sarah, um, she had an oral motor weakness. I didn't know she did, but you knew she did. Mm -hmm. And you uh, helped to connect me with the place in Augusta for her to go for therapy. And our family doctor fully listened to you and, and what you had to say um, as a speech. Which was amazing. <laughs> well, yeah. He, and he's a special doctor, let yeah. me say. But, but also... Again, it was this combination of your knowledge experience, but I loved and trusted you. Mm -hmm. So even though you were telling me things. Well, you knew I was saying it out of love, right? Exactly. Yeah. You were telling me things that were hard to hear and hard to think about, but I knew that you loved them as much as I did and would only be having me think about those things out of love, not... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not out of, of criticism or superiority, or I don't know what else you could put on it, but mm -hmm. none of those no, things. Right, right, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, there was never that agenda between you and I. And I do think our relationship maybe is uh, somewhat ideal between sisters. I don't mm -hmm. think all sisters are as close. Certainly yes. my two daughters mm -hmm. uh, were not as close. I mean, when they're young and playing together, they're very close, you know, and then life gets to be what it is and everybody kind of goes their own way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my daughters are working on their relationship now where mm -hmm. you and I didn't actually, we had 90 
eight percent, you mm-hmm. know, more cohesive moments and mm-hmm. you know, short times of maybe not. And mm-hmm. even in the times when we were in different places with different values and different thoughts, I think we always really would. And, I, and even still, we're the one place we can have a conversation where we have different views and and be kind and you know, uh, right. But I, I think we just know we have like so much equity in the relationship that the hard times just get dealt with. Right. And that can apply, should apply to a lot of relationships and a lot of situations, you know, like if you just keep leaving space for each other, like even if it's not perfect at this moment, mm-hmm. you just keep leaving space for each other. Mm-hmm. And if you keep trying to assume goodwill. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, maybe she didn't mean that tone of voice. Mm-hmm. Where where else might that have been coming from? Right. You know, or mm-hmm. why did she react that way? How did I say that? Did it sound the way I meant it to sound? Maybe I need to go back and apologize, even mm-hmm. if I'm not sure the what or the why. You know, it's yeah. again, just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, if you value it. Um, And for your spouse, you're in front of each other day in, day out. So yeah, you're going to be circling back around. You and I had to make sure we kept circling back around because you were in Ohio and I was in Georgia, you know, and it wasn't always that we could just text or. No, no. It had to be like after 11 o'clock, you know, and it costs money. And ask for the dog. Yeah, I mean, I would have these conversations with my husband about how much, you know, the line item on our budget for me talking to my sister long distance, right? Exactly. It was like, you know, this is like the mental health bill. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm thinking that this is maybe a good break point because the thing Jody and I want to toss aside is the way punishment and consequences were handled in Mm. our And, uh, you know, as you can imagine, we came from, you know, a family that could be a little heavy handed. But anyway, uh, so I'm going to let that be our break. But uh, Jody had some good words around this idea about tossing aside how we were uh, punished. Mm -hmm. And what had you said about that? Well, it it really hit. It comes from my field. Um, I I taught primarily emotional behavior disorders, and um, you know, as you're as you're trying to extinguish one behavior, you have to replace it with another. And and I remember um, just having my firstborn two year old tantrums, and I knew I didn't want to smack them. Like, I didn't like being smacked. I didn't think it was the best approach. I was a teacher and I wasn't smacking anybody. Like, surely I could do better with my own child. But what? What does one do with a two-year-old? What behavior would I replace for myself? Everything that I knew and grew up with. And and um, it gives you pause, right? Makes you have to consider your options carefully. Right. So I'm going to end on that because we will come back with that idea and we're going to pick up right with that idea. But as always, so fun to talk to you (laughs) and I will see you in part two. All right. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Rooted in Podcast. At Rooted in Language, we believe learning happens best in relationships. 
and the family culture we each create influences our children's growth and development. Let's be intentional. Join me for part two of this podcast when Jody and I discuss our decisions around behavior management and its impact on our kids and maybe on us. As always, we appreciate your listening and your support. Be sure to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, as well as your favorite podcast platform. When you like our podcasts and videos, and when you share them with your friends, you help others find our information. Also, be sure to visit and share our website, rootedinlanguage.com. You can help us help others. Thanks a lot.